Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Really glad that you're here and excited to celebrate with you. City Church uh, was birthed out of a call from God four years ago to plant a life-giving church in and for the city, and so we're really glad to invite you into this family and all that God is doing. So um, as we get into this birthday celebration, I'm pumped for some donuts. I I didn't eat breakfast, so I can have two donuts afterwards. So let's go. That's going to be great. Um, I even hung some. There's like extra high donuts so the kids can't reach them. That's on purpose, okay? That way, that's for you and me. So uh, we're in this series on identity, calling, and community. And um, if you've missed kind of the the kickoff of the series, it's been building on each other. You can uh, uh, pick it up on our YouTube channel and on our podcast of just this discovery process, both individually and in community, of, of who we are, who we are in relation to God, and, and then what we contribute to the world around us. Last week was a lot of fun. We got to talk about kind of the outward calling, and today we're going to talk about formation and how it is that we change, because here's what I know about you, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, and by the way, no matter where you find yourself today, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. So as you're processing what it means to either just step into the church for the first time, or come back to church in a long time, or you're not really sure where you land with Jesus, or what you, you know, like where you land theologically, and belief, and behavior, and what about that, and this, it's safe here, and we're really glad that you're here. But as we're having this conversation, we're wrestling with a couple of things. We're committed here at City Church to practicing the way of Jesus together in Boulder. And what does that look like? We have three kind of orientations that we have as a church that we want to focus on being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then doing what he did. And so we're kind of in this series looking at the becoming question, like who are you becoming? And the good news is um, you have some influence and the capacity to influence that. But the bad news is, how many of you with me, there's some things that you've wanted to change, things, th- things that you have tried to change that you just have had no success in changing. Just cool, me and Abraxas, that's it. So the rest of us, you guys apparently can uh, teach next week. That'd be wonderful because I'm stuck in some patterns of just frustration. You're like, man, every time I try to change, it's still seems to hit a wall, even if I make some progress for, for a little while. So here, here's one of the mantras that you might hear in our culture a lot that I think makes some of this really challenging. Be true to yourself. How many of you guys have heard that? Anybody got a t-shirt? Be true to yourself, which like in some ways as a Jesus follower, I'm like, cool, like if we're talking about the true self like we've been talking about the last couple of weeks and who we're becoming and who Jesus you know, has created us to be, like if we're talking about that true self, I'm, I'm down with that language, but that's not normally what people mean when we're like, be true to yourself um, because there's some of myself that I really don't like. And so one of my questions is like, which self are we talking about? Um, because I, I feel like I've got multiple selves. Richard Foster said that you and I are a whole conglomerate of selves. We have like all these different variations of desires. So like, who are we talking about? Because some of myself I'm down with, some of myself not so much. Like, are we talking about my disciplined self? Like, you know, the part of me that wants a six-pack, that wants to go to bed on time and get up early and go to the gym and then have, you know, really awesome God time and listening prayer and just clear identity throughout my day? 
Or are we talking about myself that also wants one of my kids' zebra cakes that just, like, we, we don't have those in our house, but we do at the moment for some reason, and I'm pumped about it, right? And I'm like, and my kids, they've never, they don't even know. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you don't know. You, you, don't, you don't even know. And, and Grayson took a bite of one, and, and his eyeballs, like, instant sugar rush, like, this is the most amazing thing. I'm like, yeah, it is, unless you want a six-pack. <laughs> That's the problem. So, um, like, which self are we talking about? We're talking about the self that wants to be disciplined and get up early and have the routines that are life-giving? Or are we talking about the self that wants to hit the snooze button one more time and roll out of bed with two cups of coffee and just kind of make it through our day? Like, like which, which self are we talking about? You guys tracking with me? You, you feel that tension? And so that, that's, I think, one of the challenges in self-discovery is what are we talking about and, and who are we becoming? And, and the challenge is you and I have multiple layers of desires. Some of them we know are good, even if you're not a Jesus follower. Some of them, like, they, they, they just, they seem right and real and other desires that they're just as real, but, like, we can tell that they're bent out of shape and out of whack and they're not good for us or good for others or Right? We have both of those sets of desires inside of us. So what do we do with that? So today we're going to talk about how we change specifically. But first I want to get into uh, a text. So we're going to be in the letter of Ephesians. Um, this is Paul writing to a, a young early church in the city of Ephesus, much like consider he's writing to City Church in Boulder, four years old. He's been helping them kind of process what it means to be formed and follow Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, if you missed it, we were looking at like Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 are all around identity. And so he doesn't give like any commands. It has nothing, it's not like do this and this and this and this. It's all identity conversations. So a couple of weeks ago, we said if you're a Jesus follower, everything that is true about Jesus is true about you. It's really important as we process identity. And then Paul shifts gears here in Ephesians 4, is what we're going to look at today. Out of that identity, it then forms our activity. And so this is really important. And again, if you're not a Christian, you're kind of just wrestling with like what it means to follow Jesus, then kind of sit back, take a big breath, and just kind of evaluate, okay, what's the invitation here? So this is Paul's transition in that letter, by the way. The invitation's still open. Grab one of those Bibles and the seat backs in front of you. They're our gift to you. Read through Ephesians, just like a, a couple of verses, a chapter at a time, and just kind of let it wash over you. But he goes on transitioning from identity to activity, and he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. There's that language. You guys tracking? So that calling language, like why am I here? What has God uniquely created me and called me to do? There's an inward calling, an outward calling that we processed a couple of weeks ago, but this, is, this language is coming from Ephesians and identity. Verse two, he says, be completely humble. There's a command. So out of this invitation of new life in Jesus, it's actually a new way of living, a new way of life. And with this life, what comes completely humble and gentle posture. And really, he's talking about character here. You guys see that? And, and, and so this unique thing of calling has more to do, it seems, with our character in what we're doing rather than just the vocation that we put our hands to. Last week, we talked about it. What we do matters, and God created you uniquely as a gift to contribute to the world around us. But he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Right? Already I'm disqualified. You guys feel that? Like We're one verse in and I'm like, dang it. Verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort. You guys hear how emphatic his language is? This is a big, big deal. He goes on. 
kind of jump down to verse 11. He talks about all that Jesus has accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection for us. And then he picks it up in verse 11. He says, because of Jesus' victory for us, Jesus himself gave these gifts, these different gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. If you go through our growth track, you'll hear more about that and how to work those gifts out in community. But for the purpose of equipping his people, his family, for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and we become, there's that language again, right? Who are you becoming? We become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's some big language. So so Paul's really concerned with who we are becoming. Jesus is really concerned with who we are becoming, and he goes on. He says, then, as a result of this this growth of who we're becoming, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. He's using this kind of language of of water and like like being in a storm. And and I think he's speaking to the culture that we live in. Like, hey, if we're not careful, we're gonna be pushed around by the culture. We're gonna be formed. We're gonna become somebody whether we want to or not unless we have the ability to press into what Jesus is doing. So there's these two options here of being pushed around or not. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, there it is again, in every, every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. He goes on. He says, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. That's just that's like kind of outsider language, meaning people who are just not a part of the church, not a part of the family of God yet, okay? And the futility of their thinking. So Paul seems to be dealing with some worldview stuff. You guys hear that? Like there's a lot of thinking and becoming and he's tying together maybe the lens by which you see the world. He's, he's got a lot of that on his mind. He goes on in verse 18. He says, they being, being those that are separated from the family of God, separated from relationship with God, they're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. You're like, my goodness, Paul, chill out, right? He's, got, he's really eloquent, but he's also really separating the way of Jesus from the world around us. And this is not, this is not throwing rocks because at another point in Ephesians, he says, and this is exactly who you were before you met Jesus. And so the heart of God here is compassion, but also acknowledging that maybe what you and I are presented with in the world around us as absolute truth maybe is just a worldview that's called absolute truth. And he goes on. Uh, he says that however, that, however, is not the way of life you learn. You see the language? So what are we committed to? We're committed to practicing the way of Jesus in Boulder. That the way of Jesus is not a mental ascent of rearranging the furniture in your mind to an appropriate set of beliefs, but it is an actual way of life, head, heart, and hands, that we actually are transformed by the way of Jesus. He says, that's not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him according with, uh, in, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So Paul seems to be convinced that there's a, there's a truth opposite 
the truth that the world is claiming. You guys tracking with that language? You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So we got like kind of a mixed bag of desires, you feel that? And to be made new in the attitude of your mind. So something about our thought life and our thinking and our worldview has influence over who we're becoming and the way we live. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we have this calling, and, and, and I don't want you to miss it here. This is pretty powerful. In this moment, he gives us a word a picture of, of your true self and your false self. Your, your old self, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, and your new self. And he gives a word picture of taking off an old garment. Don't worry, this is the only thing that's coming off this morning, okay? Taking off an old garment, an old way of life, an old way of thinking, an old worldview, and putting on a, a new self, a new way of life because of God's goodness and grace in your life. I know that might be cheesy, and I have no idea if these things match. My wife dresses me, so you can just deal with it. But the idea is that literally like the change of a garment following Jesus is putting off an old way and putting on a new way. You guys tracking with me? Everybody feeling good? Okay, so that was the heavy lifting. I know there's a lot, I mean, that's really wordy from Paul. I mean, he's a genius on a good day. And so let's bring it back to like you and me, you're geniuses, but I'm not. So let's bring it back to like where I need to be today. And so as we think about our old self and our new self or the invitation to maybe put off an old self and trust in Jesus and, and find a new self. So what are we after? To be with Jesus. It starts with relationship. It talks a lot about the love of God. And it starts there. It's not behavior modification. It's not cleaning up the outside. It starts with relationship and trusting in Jesus. Be with Jesus, got it. But then become like Jesus. That's where it starts to get hard, right? Why? Because in order for most of us in the room to become like Jesus, that's going to mean we need to change. True or false? Right? I, that's the challenge. It's like, oh man, to become like Jesus means I probably will have to change, right? Because all of us know that we're jacked up. Like all of us know whether we have, we have different parts of us that are jacked up, but like there's just things that are just dysfunctional at a core level and then things that we have adopted that are dysfunctional, things we've tried to set aside that are dysfunctional. And you're like, man, I have tried to change that jacket 15 times. And every morning when I get up, I'm wearing it again. And I'm so done with that, right? And so in the language, what we're asking, how do we change? How are we formed? In the language of the Christian tradition, what we're talking about is spiritual formation. Spiritual formation. And the, and, and the language that we're using, the working definition that we're in over the next two weeks, the spiritual formation from Comer is this, is the process in which we are transformed to become more like Jesus and in doing so, our real, true self. The process of becoming like Jesus. And Dallas Willard says it beautifully, so here's a quote to help us continue to process it. Spiritual formation, how we change in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly, as in it's, it's not a moment in time, it's not trust in Jesus today and all of a sudden you're Mother Teresa next week, right? It takes probably at least two weeks to get there. So it, what is it? It is increasingly being possessed and permeated as in, this is a relationship language, right? So through walking with Jesus, 
possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher, our rabbi. So as apprentices under Jesus, we're not just adopting a way of thinking, we're adopting a way of life. And the process of becoming like Jesus is to become like our more true selves in that space. So as we get into it today, Today we're going to talk about uh, the paradigm that we borrow from Bridgetown, unintentional spiritual formation. So Bridgetown Church um, has been a really healthy influence for us. We, we, we learn from a lot of places, but they built these paradigms of spiritual formation that we use, and they are phenomenal. So if you missed it last year, we did a series called Followers that was really instrumental in, in kind of introducing this framework to our church. And so you can go check that series out. It was 13 weeks long. We did a ton of work fleshing out how we change. And so some of this is revisiting the conversation today, but, but today unintentional spiritual formation is, simply means that all you have to do to be formed unintentionally is wake up tomorrow. That the world around you and your habits and the relationships that you have and your own mental maps are already doing the work for you. Unintentional means just without very, with very little effort of your own, you are becoming someone. And we ask this question a lot, well, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, who are you becoming? Today, if you just sat with, with a, a pen and paper and you played the character arc of your life forward, 10 or 20 years, or if you're in middle school or high school and, and you, know, you play it forward even just a year in the grades that you're in and the, and the friends that you're running with or wherever you find yourself, or you're in grad school and you play it forward two years, whatever segments of life you can look at and get a hold on, if you play to the character arc of your life forward, who are you becoming? And when you and I actually sit in that, it gives us a good picture not, not of just what we're dealing with today unintentionally, but who we are becoming. And, we, and I think we have to sit in this over and over again because we don't remember it from hearing it one time. We have to really process it together. And so our agenda today is that you would trust in Jesus and that you and I would lean into being transformed by Jesus. So here is the paradigm of unintentional spiritual formation. Tomorrow, all you have to do is wake up, and the stories that we believe, the relationships that surround us, and the habits that we live out, all in the environment that we live in, are shaping us. This is just, again, you wake up tomorrow. Next week, I'll introduce the intentional spiritual formation paradigm, and this is where we as Jesus followers press into how we become more like Jesus. But here's what I want to do today, is that the time that we have left, the text that we just read from Ephesians 4, I'm just going to show you how these things play out into who you're being formed. And I'm just going to invite you to have an open mind to, to just processing the way that your life is built at this moment up against this paradigm. So before we start, everyone in the, in the room needs to get this. Spiritual formation, what we're talking about today, is not a Christian thing. It's a human thing. Jesus followers, we have, we have a, a way of, of thinking about this. We have a way that we think is a good way and the right way from Jesus into spiritual formation, but it's not a Christian thing, it's a human thing, as in we're all disciples of someone, we're all followers, we're all being formed into an image whether we want to or not. And so, let's get into it. Number one, the stories we believe. So Ephesians 4, let me just show you again, verses 17 through 19. He says again, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Again, those are outside of the family of God in the futility of their thinking. So, he, so he's, he's talking about their, their worldview or their thought life. 
darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, as in, as in there's a hardness of heart correlated to our worldview that makes us unable to be sensitive to maybe what God is doing around us. They've given themselves over to, he, he notes two things, we'll talk about in a minute, sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and then they are full of greed. So let's go back to the paradigm for a second. The stories that we believe. So you and I live in a space, a world that is constantly telling you stories. So let's take Paul, and I'll tell you why in just a second. He points out two kind of stories from the culture around them that he addresses. Number one is, well, is greed or money. So there's a story that our culture says about money. Let's just take this for a second. So no matter maybe how you grew up, just kind of think about the paradigms that you have in your own mind. The culture around you, the American dream that we live in, what is it? Even if you, I think something on the inside probably tells you it's not true, but then there's something on the outside that still makes you want to chase after it. So more money means more happiness and more stuff. Materialism kind of creeps in there alongside it, and then, and then hedonism and experiences also creeps, especially in Boulder, right? It's like, okay, money to do stuff and experiences and kind of get all those notches on my belt. And so you and I live in a world that says money and stuff and experiences, and depending on your bent and your category, those are going to have different weights. But the lie, well, this is the lie, I, I, sorry, I, I like jumped the gun there. The, the story that you hear, <laughs> try to give it its credit, okay? But the story that you hear from our culture is more of that stuff will make you happy. More so, it will lead to a life of fulfillment and true contentment and joy. And, and like all lies, there's a half-truth, right? Because a little, it, I mean, there, there's pieces of that. You are happy for a second, and a little more maybe does give you a high for a moment. That experience is, they are valuable, and, you know, there's poverty line, you know, there's all kinds of things that we talk about that influences this, but, but at its core, if I could just have X, I'll finally be content. Whatever that is for you. You and I both know that there's something inside of us that wants to believe that story. And you and I both know that we have chased that story and it didn't deliver. How frustrating is that, right? I gave you this resource a couple of weeks ago and I'll give it to you again. Um, John Mark Comer wrote a book called Live No Lies that I highly recommend you pick up because he really deals with the stories we believe part. So here's, here's the question. Does Jesus offer uh, an alternative story to money and materialism and stuff? And the answer is yes. So again, this is a worldview conversation. So the world around you is gonna say, here's the absolute truth about money, materialism, whatever it is. And then Jesus offers an alternative story that you know what, maybe it don't satisfy. Maybe a life of generosity is actually what you need. Maybe there's something about money and our hearts connected to where we could actually grow and trust of our relationship with God. Maybe when Jesus warns us against the dangers around wealth, which, which again is, is relative when we live in a Western construct, but maybe his warnings around that are something that he's getting at for our hearts. So you see, you see the stories that we're talking about? The world around you has a story about money or stuff or materialism, and, and then Jesus has a story. And they're both presented as absolute truth for what it's worth. And your job is to say, which story am I going to believe? Why? Because what I believe gets into my heart and it becomes reality. I begin to live out that reality, even if it's not true. The stories we believe. Paul, Paul deals with another one. He's called sensuality. Or think about the, the story of sexuality in our cultural moment. 
This is a way bigger conversation than we have for this moment, but let's just play like the extreme story that you might hear on one side of the culture that you and I live in. All you have to do is open up your Instagram feed or listen to any of the uh, uh, podcasts or news feeds or whatever. There's lots of outlets for you to pick up the story, but the cultural narrative around sexuality is, okay, we, we are, are, you know, the evolutionary process has brought us to you and I being basically glorified accidents. That's wonderful, so well done you. You're better than the monkeys, and, and you and I, ha- and this is not meant to be ch- tongue-in-cheek, this is just like following the data points of, of some of the ways of thinking in the world around us. Um, you play that logic forward, and, and right now we're seeing conversations around, hey, monogamy is just a social construct made up in the middle of some era that we're just kind of oppressed by, and it's not actually helpful, and we don't see it in the animal kingdom, and then, you know, marriage is also something that we made up, and so it's not actually binding or helpful, and, you know, at the end of the day, sex is just biological, and it's just, you know, play for adults and grown-ups, and it doesn't really have any consequences, and you and I are not really more than biology, and, and you play all of that logic forward, and again, some of that might sound extreme to you, and you're like, well, I don't believe all of that. That's fair. Just think about the narratives in the culture around us around sex and sexuality. If you believe that story, which that's just one story, okay? I'm not picking on it. Just because Paul used it as an example. That's one story that will change and determine how you live out that area of your life. True or false? Yeah. So does Jesus have an alternative invitation and an alternative story to believe when it comes to the the conversations around sex and sexuality? And the answer is yes. Jesus goes all the way back to Genesis and he says, actually, man, uh, Gender's a good thing, and God created them male and female, and marriage is a gift from God. And sex, Jesus, I, I think, has a higher view of sexuality rather than a lower view. And you play those things forward. And again, this is not, these are just stories that we're operating in. The question that we're wrestling with is, do the stories believe shape who we are and how we live? And the answer is yes. So what are some other examples of the stories that we hear in our culture and then the stories that we see presented from Jesus in the scriptures. And by the way, the invitation is open. This is not believe the story that, that City Church tells you to believe, but rather, as Jesus followers, we submit to Jesus and the scriptures to set the, author, uh, the, the stories and the narratives for us, and we're evaluating those. And there's a lot of gray, by the way. It's not always black and white. And we're doing the hard work. You have to be committed to compassion and love and what, what Paul said, truth in love. Paul's assuming there's truth in here and the stories that we believe. But what are some other examples? Conversations around identity and the value that you find. The culture around you says that your identity is gonna be found in what you do, or maybe who you're in a relationship with, or how many degrees that you have, or, or what kind of house that you own, or right? there's all kinds of identity conversations. Well, what about identity in the scriptures? What about conflict? The world around you is gonna teach you how to deal with conflict, and, and the, the home you grew up in probably taught you some helpful and unhelpful ways to deal with conflict, but Jesus might have a different story for that. You, you heard of the turn the other cheek thing, right? That's not, that, you don't hear that anywhere in the world around us, but Jesus had some things to say about forgiveness and conflict. What about how to do relationships? How to do community? What about our self-image? What about, again, the poor and justice and human rights? There are stories in the world around us, and by the way, they're not all wrong. It's really important that you hear me say that. This is, this is not us against the world conversations. There's some really good things happening in the world around us and some really harmful stories in the world around us. And our job as Jesus followers is to discern the stories we believe up against the worldview that Jesus invites us into. That's our job. You guys tracking with me? The stories we believe shape not only our thinking, but then how we live. Now, it doesn't stop there because the second part of the paradigm 
is our habits. Let's keep going. Let me show you this, uh, our habits. So uh, in the next verse, in verse 20, I believe. You guys have that? Yep. So, So Paul says, that, however, is not the way of life that you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him according, according with the, the truth that is in Jesus. So the way of life, he's speaking to our habits, the way that we live. So you might not know this. Uh, there's this really cool book that came out, came out called The Power of Habit. You guys heard of that? It's a phenomenal data points on like how we're formed and shaped as human beings. But what we do on a regular basis, it does something to us, true or false. You ever found like, like you're trying to get into a workout routine and you hate it at first and then you do it long enough, which, you know, the lie used to be 21 days of a habit and all of a sudden like you're in it and that's just not true, right? I think the, the real study has shown it's like 80 something days of a habit actually produces something in you. And so all of a sudden you can get like 80 something days of a consistent gym routine in you or whatever your routine is. All of a sudden, something flips in your limbic system, in your body, neurons begin to change to where missing a day of working out is more painful than going. You ever notice that? So our habits work two ways. What we do on a regular basis, we become. Or another way to say it is the things that we do, they do something to us. And again, all I'm trying to get you to think about today is what's shaping you? What stories are you living out that might not be true and might be harmful to the way you're living life? What habits are shaping you intentionally or unintentionally? let me think here. So coffee, coffee. Who loves coffee in the room? Oh man, I, I'm a fan, right? And, and how many of you know that at the end of the day, a cup of coffee in the morning while it's good for you, or good, feels good, that's the word I'm looking for, is not actually like maybe what you need in the morning to have a successful day and a really fully, like, forget that trash, right? I want a cup of coffee, right? Like, so all the data points come out. You can know all the right things about coffee and oh man, maybe you don't need this and that. What, that's fine. Caffeine for your body, all that. Yeah, but I love coffee. So what happens? My loves shape my habits. In fact, what I love can override my habits. What I know to be true can just sit in the back when my habits are in full swing. So you can know that you need eight hours of sleep a night, and you can also love that on Sundays, the next episode of The Last of Us comes out, and so you've got a choice to make. Which desire are you giving into, right? And so our habits, they shape us. The more we do certain things, it shapes us into who we are becoming. And we'll talk about this in a minute, like just kind of evaluating. Not all our habits are wrong, but I need to sleep, and I need to binge YouTube, and I need to, you know, and you start feeling the blood. Your habits make you. I want to be the kind of person that sits in the scriptures and listens to the voice of God in the morning, but I also stayed up too late, and now I'm exhausted, and I don't have much to give, and I want to be someone who's becoming more patient, but because I wasn't disciplined over here in my sleep, now I'm grouchy and irritable, and now I just blew up on my kids. Which one, which one is it? So our habits, they, they shape us. And the last thing is our relationships. Check it out. Our relationships in this paradigm, um, yeah, verse 22. He says, you, by the way, this is plural, so this is really interesting. Every time you see the word you here, he's talking to them as a community. So you or you all, Texas people in the room, anybody? Y'all, y'all were taught <laughs> with, regard, with, with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your plural minds, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So let's go back to the paradigm for just a second. So we are formed, all you gotta do is wake up tomorrow. The stories that we believe, your mental maps that you already have, intentionally or unintentionally, 
uh, uh, the habits that, that, that shape your life, and then the relationships around you. You know this. this. This is something you were taught when you were in grade school. The people around you, they influence who you become, don't they? Uh, that, that book we talk about a lot, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, talks a lot about how your, your family of origin probably has the greatest influence of who you have become today. So doing the deep work of looking back and, and kind of looking at growing up and how that's influenced who you become is a part of the journey of self-discovery. But our relationships, plural, they influence who we're becoming. So for Paul, he's looking at this on the other side of it, saying, hey, intentional community actually helps you begin to live into the way of Jesus. And again, we're not just like, hey, what's true and what's false here? It's not only what we're asking. If the question is, how do we become like Jesus, then what we're putting up to, to be evaluated as are the stories I believe pointing me in the direction of becoming like Jesus? Are my habits pointing my life trajectory toward the way and the practice and the character traits of Jesus? Are the relationships around me, which by the way, we'll talk about that at another point, like circles of influence versus circles of concern. It doesn't mean shut out people who are far from God from your life, no. Jesus was saturated with people far from God and he loved them deeply. But there's a difference of who you have influence with and who has influence in your life. So it's just asking those questions, not throwing rocks at all. All saturated in um, what they call an environment, an environment. And, and we'll talk about, again, the next paradigm next week. But as we kind of wrap it up, I'm going to invite Daniel to come. And as he comes, I just want to give you this last piece. So let me go back. The reason I use greed and sexuality as the two examples is, is that that's because Paul used it in his letter. Here's what you need to know. The city of Ephesus was the environment those believers found themselves in. And, and you might not know this, so I'm gonna give you a little bit of background. The city of Ephesus is where the temple of Aphrodite was located, and so it was a hub for sexuality. Aphrodite was the fertility goddess, and so tons of people would come from all around the Mediterranean to this city for the purpose of worshiping at this temple, of, of participating with, with the temple prostitutes, all for the purpose of having a healthy uh, uh, childbearing and fertility and all of those things, okay? So this is saturated in the city. This is the temple, seventh wonder of the world kind of space in this city. So that's one of the agendas. In addition, it's a massive city of commerce because of that. And so wealth is massive in this city when it comes to trade. And so do you think it's any accident that Paul speaks specifically to these followers of Jesus in this city when the city is saturated with two primary focuses? Right? Which, again, it's not the only thing by any means. And you and I are like, yeah, sure, like greed and sexuality, those are challenging things, but there's a lot more stuff on the table. But he speaks specifically to the environment that they're in. You guys tracking with me on this? Here's why we're talking about it. Ephesus formed its citizens. Where you live, the places that you call home, it's a machine. It's an environment. And you and I live in Boulder in 2023. And all the beautiful things of our city and all the broken things of our, of our city, Boulder is a, a machine. And it absolutely has an agenda of formation. Boulder is the rabbi. You and I are the disciples. And to act like, listen, this is just about awareness. To act like the environments we live in don't have influence on us is how we are unintentionally formed. And so you and I have the ability to, to celebrate what's great, to evaluate what's broken. We, we can be critical in a way, not, not, not as in judgmental toward the world around us, but of our own habits and our own behaviors and our own ways of thinking, of evaluating what's influencing us. 
We become like the places that we call home. That's true of the city that you live in. It's also true of the phone in your pocket. The thing that lives with you is also a formation machine. The people that you follow, the trends and and the categories of influence that you have in your pocket, it's shaping you whether you're choosing it or not. The home that you grew up in, the school that you attend, the people that you live with, your housemates, all of it is forming us. And the invitation is, is, is not to be super critical or judgmental because I need you to hear me. God's heart toward the brokenness in our world is compassion. That, that he, if you're a Jesus follower, the, the idea is if God is really good and what he calls truth and, and, and reality for human flourishing is actually for our good, then the invitation is not to feel guilty and shame when things are out of alignment. The invitation is God has so much better for you, so much better for me, so much better for the world around us, at which point Jesus would call it introducing the kingdom of God to our city. He taught us to pray in bolder as it is in heaven. What does that mean? We're talking about this right here. So what's the invitation today? To carefully discern. This is the only invitation for you today to carefully discern what the stories, sorry, you can go back, the stories we believe, the habits that you're living out, the relationships that influence you and the environment that you live in to discern what it's doing to your heart. That's it. What lies are becoming reality for us? And again, you don't know this overnight. This is time and experience and over the course of time, positive and negative, that reveal who we're becoming. Our apprenticeship to Jesus, our following Jesus, is to offset this reality. How do we intentionally become, not like our Instagram reels and, and not like Boulder, but how, we, how do we intentionally become more like Jesus? That's the only invitation on the table today. And then we evaluate everything else in light of that. And so again, no guilt, no shame, simply an invitation to evaluate what what Paul called all the fullness of God, what Jesus called life to the full, and what that means for you and I. So here's a couple of next steps for you as we close out our time today. Number one, ask the question, who am I becoming? Take that paradigm. We'll post it on our social platforms this week. And just ask the question, evaluate those arenas of influence and say, who am I becoming? Because the bad news is you and I can wake up tomorrow and those things are already at work. The good news is you and I are invited to walk with Jesus in the space of who we're becoming. So the second question is going to be this. Create space this week to do a habit audit. Pen and paper or however you do your your writing And just kind of write down from the time you get up throughout your day, just kind of audit your life. What are the things that you do? What is just a normal, what are your habits that are even operating in the background? What are just kind of your go-tos? This week, I've been doing this practice, the things I'm becoming. And some of you are like, man, that doesn't seem like a big deal. And it might not be, or maybe it is. That's what you're trying to figure out. And so I noticed, this is weird, because I don't remember doing this, but I, I started auditing my life. And every morning for like the last couple of weeks, I'll get up and the first thing I do is check my phone. I check messages, I check email, I check 
social media, I check, mess- I check all these different things as I'm making my cup of coffee and, you know, doing all the things that are good for me and eating zebra cakes and, you know, all of that. So, and, and I've realized how, how much that interrupts my thought process of trying to be quiet with God in the morning, which is the priority so I can hear his voice over all others throughout my day. And I didn't even see it. And so this week, as I, as I audit my habits, one of the things that's going to happen is, is it's back to a paper Bible for me <laughs> for a little while because my phone has just not been a good place and a helpful one. So me, pen, journal, paper, Bible, and the phone doesn't get touched until after me and God have had some time alone. What is it for you? And again, it doesn't, there's nothing wrong with email in and of itself or your messenger, but what is, what is it doing to you? Who are you becoming? And so this week, just take a habit audit and just invite God to speak into that space and just see who you're becoming. And next week, we're going to deal with how we actually change. And the good news is, it's probably not what you think. And so there's going to be a lot of life that comes out of that conversation. So let me pray for you. Will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? This is just a moment of privacy for you and everyone else in the room. Holy Spirit, we quiet our hearts, we quiet our minds, and we invite you into the space that we're gathering in and into our hearts, into our minds, and we invite you to do a work that only you can do. Holy Spirit, help us to see the stories that we believe that maybe are damaging to our way of life. Help us to see the habits that are pointing us in a direction opposite of who it is that we actually want to become. Help us to see the relationships that maybe need to be adjusted. Or maybe the relationships that need to simply be formed. So that we can continue to become more like you and more like our true selves. Help us to evaluate what what would it look like this week, every day, to put off the old self and put on the new? Because it sounds very intentional. It's like when we get dressed every day, it's a choice we make. Right now, I pray for my friends in the room who are not followers of Jesus, who are maybe just wrestling with what they believe about you what it means to have a relationship with you, wrestling with this invitation into new life and a new self and a relationship with you that changes everything. And for anyone in the room that's wrestling with that, I pray that they hear louder than anything else today how much you love them. And you prove that love by sending Jesus to die in our place for our brokenness, for our sin. And he rose again, proving that he was who he said he was, that he he could overcome our brokenness and our sin and overcome death and overcome the lies and the enemy and make us completely new. Now, we don't earn that. We don't perform for it. We don't maintain it. We simply receive the gift that you purchased with your life by trusting in you, by stepping into that relationship. And for some of my friends today, would you pull on their hearts and minds to trust in you and your invitation into what it means 
to have life to the full, to be fully human in relationship with you, to be made new and to become who you invite us to become. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you right now and we ask once again, is there anything you want to say to us? Is there anything you want to say through us? And we take the next couple of minutes to respond. It's in Jesus' name, amen.